The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to skip the intro, please refer to the timestamp listed in the episode description. Thank you. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. Um, I just had like a panic of, are we recording? Did I hit the button? <laughs> yes. But even if we didn't, it was only oh. 30 seconds of recording. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much every episode when we're like in the middle of recording, I'm like, <gasps> oh are God. we recording? <laughs> I've recorded mine on Audacity. But <laughs> wouldn't be helpful if yeah, I hadn't recorded the rest. <laughs> yeah. that's One day it's going to happen. I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> Anyways, um, we're recording this episode a little early, so we don't really have anything current to chat about because we're trying to get these in because it's going to be Thanksgiving and then I'm going away. For once, I have things to do instead of Olivia. So, you know, my life is fulfilling now. So I guess when this comes out, it'll be nearly December. So, yeah, these flying by. Might even be December. If I'm probably not calculating it right. Um, it'll be close. Yeah. But it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. The year yeah. is flying by. Holiday sure time, is. right in the thrill of it. I actually got my Christmas tree. I got the weekend before Thanksgiving. So really, I got it yesterday in real time. Well, in fake time. Is this real time or <laughs> fake time? When we're recording, I got it yesterday. So the weekend <laughs> before Thanksgiving. It is up. It feels so early. It is early. I feel like a lot of people don't get them yet. But I was asking my mom, I was like, why do we go so early? Like, I don't remember what the reasoning was. And because around here anyways, my family likes to go cut down a tree. Like, we go with my aunt and, like, my cousins. So it's just a fun thing we do. Obviously, not everyone does that or has to do that. You can just go to some, like, Walmart or something where they have trees there, Home Depot. But I guess there's – I don't know if it's a shortage or if it's just more people are cutting down trees now that the Christmas tree farms around here – Obviously, they have an allotment of how many they can sell because they take so long to grow. So they'll only be open for like a week or two. And last year or the year before, it was like the start of December and they were all closed because hmm. everyone had got trees already and the quota was met. So that's why Could've you got to go early. In. Yep. Your tree might die before Christmas, but at least you got it. <laughs> <laughs> we did our tree on the weekend too, but ours is fake. So uh, it would be fine. <laughs> I for some reason this year me and mike were just being like oh, i feel so bad for the tree like it's so alive and we're just cutting it down <laughs> like maybe we should get a fake one <laughs> but yeah so that is up gonna keep it alive for a month my one last year stayed alive very well so let's hope this one does too because nothing is more annoying than cleaning up pine needles everywhere mm. at least the smells nice it does smell nice but i learned the hard way PSA to anyone who's new to getting real Christmas trees, don't vacuum up the needles because they will clog your vacuum <laughs> and it is a big pain to unclog. Mm. Just sweep them up. You gotta suffer. Oh, no, so, no. yeah, it is horrible. Anyway, it's good that you're all sorted and one less thing to worry about. Yeah, I'm trying to. I still have to put lights on it and decorate it. Um, putting lights on it is a pain, but the ornaments is easy. And you always get sap on you which is really hard to get out of anything. 
Another hot tip. I'm sure people know these hot tips. Like, they're not hot <laughs> tips. Um, if you get, like, sap on you or your clothes, use hand sanitizer to get it mm. off. Because it's, so like, the hand only sanitizer thing. is the answer for everything. The life hack. <laughs> and everyone's discovered it now that we all used it so much over the last few years. Over the pandemic <laughs> when it was all we had. We are just locked inside with our hand sanitizer. Yeah, so... I hope that everyone is in the holiday spirit because it's December. Yes. Coming around fast. <sighs> yeah. I'm not ready. And then it's going to be New Year's before we know it. It's going to be 2024. And 2024, it's going to be our year as we Definitely. Like say. <laughs> Every year we've said it, it's going to be happening soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get into it, I suppose. So we do have a little update. I mean, I guess this update will be a little old by now, but... Some people might not have heard about it. Yeah, and we haven't talked about it yet, but we did an episode when this first happened. Caitlin Armstrong, she was convicted of the murder of Mariah Mo Wilson. This was the one with Colin Strickland. They were pro bikers, Colin and Mo, and there was like a alleged love triangle. And Caitlin, at the time, allegedly shot and killed Mo after she was hanging out with Colin. So she has actually been convicted now, and she's been sentenced to 90 years in prison, and she's ordered to pay a $10,000 fine. I always think it's interesting when they just throw in a fine as well. I know. Like, why bother? And even if, even if she doesn't pay it, what are they going to do? Keep her in jail for more than 90 years? <laughs> yeah. And just... It's just weird. I don't know exactly what the $10,000 fine is for. I know. So I'm actually like, just Googling again because everyone's been asking, and I, can't, I haven't seen it stated anywhere what... The fine is full. Yeah, because it's it's that can't be just for murder. Like the price of a life is more than so ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars by the jury, but I don't understand. Like I, I, I I've looked and looked and looked, and I cannot find what this ten thousand dollars is for. Well, if you know, shoot us a message. Let us know, and we'll share it so that we can all know. But yeah, very strange. Um, so like I said, Caitlin shot Mo dead on May eleventh, twenty twenty two, in Austin, Texas, and it's believed that the motive for the murder was Moe's relationship with Caitlin's boyfriend, Colin Strickland. Caitlin and Colin had an on-again, off-again relationship, and Moe met up with Colin for a date on the day that she was murdered. I mean, Colin testified, and he swears up and down that, like, this wasn't an affair. They were off, and him and Moe weren't romantic at that time. They had been in the past, but they were apparently just hanging out as friends. So after the murder... Caitlin, she used her sister's passport to flee to Costa Rica. She got a nose job. She really tried to hide who she was and flee from the law. Uh, Mo's brother, Matt, spoke in court at the sentencing. He said, my sister had her life taken from her for no reason at all. She'll never ride a bike again. She'll never take a 20-minute break from work to bake banana bread in her kitchen. She'll never get married. She'll never buy a home. She'll never have kids. She'll never meet someone that she loves and my parents will never be able to see that happen to see her enjoy her life. Most family also released a statement on November 17th that said, as a family, we believe justice has been served. And of course we have many people to thank, but first I want to thank God for giving us strength, comfort, and a measure of peace through this trial process. We know many folk, we know many folks back home and around the country have been praying for us. And we appreciate that very much. We want to thank all of our family and friends who attended the trial and gave us so much support during our time in Austin. This has meant the world to us. We thank the jury for their sacrifice and hard work. Three weeks is a long time, and we appreciate their commitment and determination to do the right thing. We also thank the witnesses for their testimonies and cooperation with law enforcement and the prosecution. There was um her friend, what was her name, Caitlin Cash? Mm, yeah. Right? 
Her friend Caitlin Cash spoke during the sentencing, and she also spoke a lot about how traumatic it was for her to be performing CPR on Mo, her friend, for over 10 minutes, just like desperately trying. And she says the longest 10 minutes of her life and how she still has flashbacks like all the time from that. She can't hear sirens anymore. She doesn't even like to see dark stains on things because it reminds her of the blood. And I think she said that like directly to Caitlin. I'm just like, you ruined so many people's lives. Like obviously her family's lives and her life will always be affected by this in some way. But I just thought it was interesting because it's one of those things you don't really think about how traumatic it is to find someone, your friend or loved one, dead and having to perform CPR on them when you don't really know what you're doing. You're on the phone with 911. They're trying to tell you how to do it. And it's exhausting doing CPR. Any nurse will tell you like doing it for a long time is tiring. 10 minutes nonstop doing that has to be traumatic. We've also had a lot of people messaging us asking if anything happened to Caitlin or any punishment for stealing her sister's passport, but I haven't seen anything and I haven't, like, as far as I can tell, nothing will happen. Like, obviously, it doesn't really matter now. She's going to be in jail for 90 years or whatever anyway, but I would I have found that part interesting too. Like, did the sister give her the passport? I'm assuming they could just say that Caitlin stole the passport. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, nothing seems to have come of the passport scenario in that situation. It's probably one of those things where, like she's already going to be in jail yeah. until she dies. What's it just would take more money, more trial, more of everyone's time to add on all those other things as well. Yeah. So I'm glad that one came to a conclusion. I never really doubted that she was going to get found guilty. No. When they said they were going to deliberate, I'm like, she will absolutely be found guilty. There was no, <laughs> no denying what she yeah. did. And they did the sentencing right after, which was interesting. Yeah. Sometimes we would shouted at the time too about how sometimes these things are quick and then it's like remember I think Laurie Vallow her sentencing was way after she was found and guilty and Murdoch I think yeah. too yeah so I don't know sometimes I, I can't figure it out why sometimes I guess it's just state by state or even county by county their procedures yeah so that is that I don't think we have any other updates I mean maybe by the time this episode comes out but too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so today we're going to talk about a bit of an older one. Well, we thought maybe not a lot of people would know about it. It was a big scandal at the time, and that is Jared Fogle from Subway. He, if you don't know who he is, he was basically like the face of Subway for years because he lost all this weight and his part of his diet was having like a little Subway sandwich, and that was what helped him stop eating really badly. So he was the spokesperson, he was in all these commercials, and then it came out that he was involved with child sexual abuse and child exploitation and things like that. So it was wild when all that happened. There is an HBO documentary about it, which I was watching the other day, which is pretty good. Um, It's on HBO Max or Max, whatever it's called now. It's just called Jared from Subway. So I'll probably use some clips from that. He was also on Dr. Phil. I mean, the story was also featured on Dr. Phil. Probably use some clips from that because, you know, I love a Dr. Phil clip. (laughs) So we will get into that one. All right. So Jared Fogel, he is a big loser, but like not just in a weight loss way. I didn't even mean to like say it like that. A big loser in every sense of the word. Uh, yeah, I hate myself right now. No, but really, he 
is just such a loser. But we're going to go back when he was at the top of the world. Hi, I'm Jared, the subway guy. He is one of TV's most beloved pitchmen, famous as the face of the subway sandwich chain. So it was quite a shock to see this. FBI and state police raiding Jared Fogle's mansion Tuesday. Federal and state authorities have raided the Indiana home of the Subway restaurant spokesperson Jared Fogle. This is Jared leaving a police evidence truck parked in his driveway in Zionsville, Indiana. Here he is in a blue windbreaker. Jared, you got anything to say? The FBI confirms the raid is part of an ongoing criminal investigation. Please welcome Jared, the subway guy. Just this past 4th of July weekend, Jared was Grand Marshal at the Subway Firecracker 250 race in Daytona, Florida. Drivers, start your engines! What makes the raid on Jared's home particularly disturbing is that it comes nearly two months after the former executive director of his nonprofit foundation was arrested on federal child pornography charges. That man, Russell Taylor, made an unsuccessful suicide attempt after investigators say they found more than 400 child pornography videos in his home. Jared Fogel, he lost 245 pounds or 111 kilograms between 1998 and 1999. That is an insane amount of weight to lose in one year. But also in here, 400 pounds. Yeah, I guess. Isn't like, it I know that. To- I don't know, but I still feel like that's like almost two kilos a week, which is how I gauge like weight loss. That's a lot. But I, I know when you are heavier, you do lose it a little bit quicker to start. So it's still a crazy yeah. amount of weight. He apparently went to Subway as part of his diet, and because of his dramatic weight loss, he was hired to basically be the face of Subway. So for 15 years, Jared appeared in over 300 ads for Subway. So that's a long time, and that's a lot of ads. I'd say back then, pretty much everyone knew who Jared from Subway was. He was in the Subways. There was commercials. You would go into Subway, and there would be a cardboard cutout of him there, like a (laughs) life-size one. It was kind of ridiculous looking back. All this unknown guy who just announced he'd been eating a lot of Subways and had lost a lot of weight. And before we know it, Subway's business was completely transformed. Uh, They ended up making $8 billion or something ridiculous. You made yourself a millionaire. Do you still eat Subway sandwiches? I do. You know, I don't eat it every single day anymore, but I've learned, uh, (laughs) you know, in my, exactly, in moderation. You know, I'll tell you, I've, I've kept the weight off now for 15 years. I still probably average eating it three or four days a week. And, uh, you know, I travel almost 200 days a year as part of my job and as part of what I do with Subway. So I have to be obviously pretty careful, especially when you're on the road. What is the question you get asked most by people? Well, I think they always want to know, did you really do it? I mean, I think people are still sort of fascinated by that. Of course, you know, losing 245 pounds in a year. Uh, But then I think the other one I get always asked is, how do you keep it off? Because I think we all know how to lose weight. I mean, there's a million ways to lose weight out there. But it's keeping that weight off that's obviously the hardest part, especially in this country. And, uh, you know, what I tell people is, I, I mean, I still eat Subway occasionally, but I've just learned to eat in moderation. I try to get my exercise in on a pretty regular basis. And there's always excuses. You know, you can always have a million excuses out there, but you just got to finally put up and just do it. Jared, let's take a look at the very first Subway ad that you made. Jared believes in an active lifestyle, including lots of walking. At the heart of Jared's routine are Subway sandwiches. Hey, Jared. Hey, guys. At Subway, you can choose from seven sandwiches with six grams of fat or less. And they all taste great. Food for thought. So, Jared, you've got your old fat pants, haven't you? Let's have a look at them. 
I, I do. These are way more famous than I am peers. Actually, if I can't make an event, I send the pants. But um, <laughs> wow. this is uh, wow. I used to wear. Wow, look at this that. Is the old, this was a 60-inch waist. Now, these are the relaxed fit, though, which is very important to have. It's a good reminder for me. Obviously, you know, people are always fascinated to see the pants. It's a great visual aid, and especially when I'm talking to kids. You know, I speak to children all over the country and actually all over the world now about my story, the fact that they know me really well from TV, and you know, they try to have a good message for them about the mistakes that I made. And when they see the old pair of pants, they just sort of ooh and ah, they really just can't believe it. So everything came crashing down for Jared in 2015 when the FBI raided his home and he was arrested on child pornography charges. So some background into Jared. He was born in Indianapolis, Indiana on August 23rd, 1977 to Norman and Adrian Fogel. Jared is the oldest of three children, so he has a younger brother and a younger sister. The Fogel children were raised in a Jewish home. Jared had a bar mitzvah while he was on a trip to Israel, and he attended North Central High School in Indianapolis, where he graduated in 1995. He then went and attended Indiana University Bloomington, and after he graduated from university in 2000, he worked briefly in the revenue management department at American Transair. So I know they said in the documentary when he was in high school that he was also very overweight then and that he was bullied a lot for being so overweight. Um, in the documentary, people that went to high school with him, when he became like the spokesperson for Subway, they were like, no way. Like they could not believe that that was Jared, who was so overweight from high school, is now like the spokesperson um, for Subway for losing so much weight. But yeah, kids are mean, unfortunately. Yeah. I went to middle school, high school, and I also went to two years of college with Jared when he was young. Jared Fogel was shy, very nerdy, smart, and a bit of a loner, probably because he was an outcast. He started gaining weight really young, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Jared was probably the heaviest person in middle school, and that includes adults too. And I think it was probably between 250 and 300 pounds. I just remember that by the time we got to high school, he was morbidly obese. For Jared to have that much weight on him, it's like he had a target on his back. For lack of better words, you couldn't miss him, you know? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but, uh, you know, but yeah, it was, it was hard, hard to miss. And you could tell that he knew. I'd be willing to bet that he went home crying a lot. It's almost like his childhood was stolen from him because uh, every day was kind of a, a battle. Where is he going to sit for lunch? Would you have sat next to Jared in the dining hall? No. No, that would have been social suicide. I never saw him with anybody. I can only imagine how lonely it was for Jared and just scary. I think every doctor would agree that a lot of your early years mold you into who you are. If you have a lot of insecurities and a lot of people are ripping on those all the time when you're a child, I mean, that's got to mess with you in all kinds of different ways. I think the weight was a symptom of him checking out of life. He kept just finding friendship and food. He references that in the book and everything. I overate to compensate for my social awkwardness. I overate because I just plain love the taste of food. 
but as I grew fatter and fatter, I felt more isolated. Eventually, I felt that I didn't have any real friends in the world except for one, food. So Jared's weight loss journey started in 1998. He weighed 425 pounds or 193 kilograms at the age of 22, which is very heavy. Yeah. He said that he had put on weight through lack of exercise and eating junk food and that he estimates at one point he was eating around 10,000 calories per day. That was insane. (laughs) He was so overweight that he wasn't able to walk across campus. He decided to eat two Subway sandwiches a day and try to exercise more. So he chose Subway in part because it was nearby. He said that he lived 10 steps away from a Subway restaurant in an interview with Men's Health. So his new diet consisted of one small turkey sub, one large veggie sub, along with some chips and a diet soda, which totaled to 2,000 calories. Um, a Subway franchisee from Chicago found out about Jared's weight loss and took his story to Subway's advertising agency. The company ran a national TV ad campaign as a test. The first ad aired on January 1st, 2000, introducing Jared and his story with the following disclaimer. The Subway diet combined with a lot of walking worked for Jared. We're not saying this is for everyone. You should check with your doctor before starting any diet program, but it worked for Jared. The ads were a success and Jared began appearing in more ads. He became known as the Subway guy. In 2001, Jared married his first wife, Elizabeth Christie, and we believe the couple were together until 2007. In 2004, Jared started the Jared Foundation. It was a nonprofit that focused on raising awareness about childhood obesity through education. Jared first came to the attention of state and federal law enforcement when journalist Rochelle Herman Walrand told police in Sarasota, Florida, that Jared had made lewd comments to her about middle school aged girls. I think it was there's an event at a middle school he was at and she was kind of interviewing him there and he made some gross comments to her off the record about the kids there. So very bold move to know, just like, do what something do you think like that. was going to happen? Everyone would just find it entertaining and funny. Like, what a weird <laughs> <You'd be> like, <laughs> thing to do. I guess he was by that stage maybe so cocky and just thought he could was untouchable. Like top of the world. Yeah. yeah. The filming of the television program I was to do with Jared was held at the middle school here in Sarasota. So Jared and I went on stage. Nobody was in the auditorium except for my cameraman. He went on his way to position his camera and we sat down on the couch. Jared started talking to me, telling me how pretty I was, asking me if he could hold my hand. I believe Jared had been going through a divorce It was obvious he was very interested in me. That made me uncomfortable, but I didn't say anything. I just blew it off. Just before the camera started rolling, he slowly leans over and whispers in my ear how hot he thought middle school girls were. I just shut down. It was such a shock to me. Did I really just hear what he just said to me? And at that point, a teacher came in and brought a couple of students in um, to speak with Jared. How did you make it through that interview? I was struggling, to be frank with you, because 
my mind kept deferring back to what he said to me. I just wanted to get it over with. Um, so Rochelle, so she continued to talk to him more to kind of get him to try to say more stuff like that. And she recorded his remarks and saved the text messages from him talking about these things. And then she went to the FBI with that information. I came to know Jared Fogel better than anyone. What I found out about him and who he really was made me feel so much hatred towards him. Some of the darkest memories that I have is I can't stop going back to um, what he put these kids through. What kind of cute friends do you now? take me for the rest of my life to process it. Um, I think that girl from the broken home could be a possibility, you know? Sorry. I need it so bad. <laughs> she did this, she ended up doing this for four years, and that's kind of what the documentary is about. There's mixed reviews on obviously what she did is it's a lot like four years doing this um and some people say that you know she makes it a lot about herself and how she's like a martyr basically so i don't know i thought it was interesting but some people were annoyed by it so she recorded him over those years making remarks about having sex with underage girls and he apparently asked her to install a webcam in her children's room so that he could watch them. So weird. Yeah. And I do think what she did was questionable as well because he start, like he starts talking about her kids and it's just... Ugh. The one thing that I noticed when we were at the middle school was the children were so eager to talk with him and excited to be around a famous person. And I believe he used that to his advantage. Yeah, and you were concerned that through his work and all of that, that that's how he was getting access to yes. kids. And you, you talked about this. Let, let's listen to this. You must go crazy with your travels because you get to go and tell the different schools and you know, all the different things like that. Give me I want, I want you to, I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of stories. I want you to tell me some of them so that, I don't know, it's just, I like to. Yeah, especially some of the middle schools. I love the middle schools and the yeah. girls are starting to get you know? Yeah. you know how much I love the you know? I love mm -hmm. you Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. What's that? Well, you know, kids are maturing faster nowadays. I know, which I love. And that's why I think it's wonderful with you is that you're able to get in early. You know what I mean? You could totally, you know, you could totally win them over, which is what I love. Mm-hmm. You like that? I do love that. Tell me, well, you tell me how to do that. You know, just talk to them, just get to know them, just everything, and just, you know, do a little touchy-feely things with them, you know, make them feel good. And it's a little more touchy-feely, a little more touchy-feely, a little more touchy-feely. It's that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
I think that would be amazing. What, what, totally amazing. what age seems to be the easiest? You know, I don't know. Like, you know, early middle school is probably one of the best. Yeah. You know, they don't know if they're coming or going. Mm-hmm. And I could see you a young, you know, sixth, seventh grader, you know, this And they're okay, they're, they'd be all right with that? What's that? You have to find out how, if they'd be all right with that? Oh, no, they'd definitely be all right with that. They're very much into exploring, you know, just a matter of getting them on your side, you know? And that's what I'm, that's what I'm just curious. I don't know how to, how to do that. Just be friendly to them? Yeah, just be friendly to them. Just do what you normally would do, baby, because that's what you, you're so friendly anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we need to sort of go from there. We take it, and I think it's all case by case, you know? There's no, there's no right way, wrong way, whatever, you know? Well, he's thought about this a lot. He's got a plan, he's got a technique, he's got skills, and you can tell he's done this over and over and over. Yes. He, at one point, he called me and was telling me about a six-year-old little girl and that he was flying over to see her. And from the way the conversation was going, it sounded as though the parents were okay with this. And I called the FBI. I told them what was going on, but they couldn't do anything because he wouldn't give me a name. He wouldn't give me the place where he was going to. And all I can envision is him going to this six-year-old girl and violating her and changing her life forever. And you know it, but you can't stop it. That's right. That's haunted me for years. So the FBI weren't able to pursue a case against Jared with just that information because they needed more evidence because that it was just him talking there was no real proof that he did any of these things or he was just talking about how he was interested in kids so he really hadn't committed a crime that they had hard evidence for at that point but it at least put him on their radar he was just being a general creep at that stage yeah so in February 2008, Subway launched a campaign called Tour de Pants, which celebrated Jared maintaining his weight loss for 10 years. In this campaign, Jared said that he would retire his pair of 62-inch or 160 centimeters pants to a museum. This also is just like a shout out to how unhinged advertising was in the early 2000s. <laughs> a lot of it focused on weight and weight loss. And looks and things like that, yeah. Yeah, it was a tough time to be young. <laughs> Jared got engaged in November 2009 to Kathleen McLaughlin, who was a teacher. In January 2010, a People article reported that Jared had gained back 40 pounds or 18 kilograms and planned to restart his subway diet to lose weight for his wedding. What a way, like, what a scammer. I bet he did that on purpose to, like, get, lose more weight with subway. Yeah. Maybe they were losing interest. Yeah. Kathleen and Jared got married in August 2010. And they had two children together, a son, Brady, in 2011, and a daughter, Quinn, in 2013. By 2013, Jared had filmed more than 300 commercials for Subway. The company attributed one-third to one-half of its growth in sales to Jared, with their revenue tripling from 1998 to 2011. 
According to AdAge, sales fell 10% after commercials featuring him briefly stopped in 2005. So clearly he had a lot of power with Subway, um, a lot of preying on people's insecurities, I would say, but it worked and it was making Subway money. Jared had other opportunities after his Subway success. He appeared in WWE in 2009 and 2011, and he was also in the film Sharknado. <laughs> it's funny that they're like, he had other opportunities, but that I like, is that really an opportunity? <laughs> yeah, I think he like fought with the Miz on WWE. It was so stupid. I'll see if I can find it or if I'll find him in Sharknado or something. You know, the reason I'm out here is I've been asked by someone to say hello to someone in the audience. And that person is Jared from Subway. <laughs> oh, come on, give it up for Jared from Subway! You know, the only reason I decided to actually do it because I know you're a huge Miz fan. Yeah, that's right, Jared is a Misfit. But you know what, Jared? I'm not a fan of yours. As a matter of fact, I think I can do your job better than you. Yeah, that's right. I think I can be a better spokesperson for Subway than you ever could be. So Jared's net worth in 2013 was $15 million, so he was doing pretty well oh, for himself. Not bad for some sandwich ads. <laughs> yeah. USA Today ran an article on the Jared Foundation in 2015. It reported that the Jared Foundation had not issued any grants or given, or given any funds for their stated purpose. It also reported that the foundation spent $73,000 per year, most of that paying the salary of the foundation's executive director. So more than 25% of the funds were unaccounted for as per tax records. So off to a bad start here. Hmm. Daniel Borachoff, president of the nonprofit charity watchdog group Charity Watch, was quoted in the USA Today article as saying, if Jared was really interested in helping children through his foundation, he could have gotten more money. As with a lot of celebrities, the charity appears to be more about image enhancement than actual charitable deeds. On April 29th, 2015, Russell Taylor, who is the director of the Jared Foundation, was arrested at his house in Indianapolis on charges of child exploitation, possessions of child pornography, and voyeurism. Russell and his wife at the time, Angela Baldwin, sexually molested young girls and installed cameras to film them without their permission. So Jared severed all ties with Russell after his arrest. Russell attempted suicide on May 6, 2015, and he was placed on life support. He survived and he ended up pleading guilty on September 1st, 2015. In December 2015, Russell was sentenced to 27 years in federal prison. Russell Taylor is paying the price for victimizing children he secretly videotaped at his home, often in the nude. The federal crime will cost him more than two decades in prison. It was his cooperation with the government that allowed them to arrest and charge Jared Fogle. But investigators say others are now on the radar. In court, it was revealed for the first time today that Taylor could be seen on video with his wife, setting up at least one of the hidden cameras intended to record a visiting relative. The United States it indicated that was still part of an active investigation, so I'm not going to comment any further. 
Also for the first time today, we learned that a nude image of one of the children was shared possibly with two members of Jared Fogel's foundation. All three individuals will now be open to questions as the government seeks to figure out who participated or benefited from the illegal activity. In any child pornography investigation, the last step is to figure out whether at the end of the day any of the material that comes from your case shows up anywhere else. We do that with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. That's an ongoing process that never ends. So it's rare for us to have a complete endpoint in a case. We'll be looking to see if this material shows up other places for the next few decades. And back live outside the federal courthouse. So Taylor did get a break from the federal judge because he did cooperate in the Fogel investigation and had no criminal past until now. So while police were looking into Russell, they discovered that he traded sexually explicit photos and videos of children as young as six with Jared. Tim Horty, who is a spokesperson for the United States Department of Justice, said, What we found in Russell Taylor's home and on his computer led us to Jared Fogel. Jared's home in Zionsville, Indiana, was raided by the FBI and Indiana State Police on July 7, 2015. Jared was arrested on distribution and receipt of child pornography charges. That same day, a subway rep said that their business relationship with Jared had been mutually suspended and all references to Jared were removed from the subway website. I wouldn't have even thrown in the word mutually. I would have been like, we are done with I guess at that stage, they have to be kind of careful, though, because it was all alleged at that stage. It's like alleged. Yeah. So after Jared was arrested, the FBI subpoenaed a series of text messages from 2008 between Jared and a Subway franchisee named Cindy Mills. Jared had been having a sexual relationship with Cindy at that time. In the messages, Jared talked about sexually abusing children ages nine, between ages 9 and 16. He also told Cindy to sell herself for sex on Craigslist, and he asked her to arrange for him to have sex with her 16-year-old cousin. Cindy's legal rep said that she told Subway corporate management about the text, but they said that Jared wasn't a Subway employee, and as such, there was no violation. Subway reps deny having any record of Cindy's claims, though, of course. So on August 19th, 2015, federal prosecutors said they had reached a deal with Jared. He was going to plead guilty to an indictment containing two counts, one of distribution and receipt of child pornography, and one of traveling to engage in illicit sexual conduct with a minor, specifically from Indiana to New York, where he is charged with paying to engage in sexual acts with a minor girl who was known by Jared to be 17 years old. The indictment also included allegations that Jared was aware that Russell had solicited 12 minors as young as 13 years old to perform sexually explicit conduct. Russell allegedly filmed the acts and shared them with Jared. And it was also alleged that Jared had been sent files from Russell that included sexually, sexually explicit images of minors as young as six. Jared also allegedly offered adult sex workers a finder's fee to find him young sex partners. Some of Jared's communications have been reported in the media. I've put the whole court document on the blog if you want to read through them all. But in one message, he asks, do you have access to any young girls like 15 or 16? And the sex worker replies, why, baby? And he says, because that's what I crave. I would hook you up nicely if you did. And the worker replies, how much? Because I have a cousin who is 15. And Jared writes back, "What what does she look like? If she's good looking, I would give you 300 and her the same. Then he texted another adult sex worker, I'll pay you big for a 14 or 15 year old. In another text, it says, did you find me some young girls or boys? And Jared told the worker that he wanted the child to be able to prove his or her age. He said, if they can and you get me 16 or below, I'll give you 400 at least. Such a creep. Insane. 
Um, so Jared was originally facing up to 50 years in prison if he went to trial. As part of the plea deal, prosecutors agreed to seek no more than 12 years, seven months, and Jared agreed to not seek a sentence of less than five years. Jared also agreed to pay a total of $1.4 million, which is equivalent today to $2 million in restitution. Jared was restricted to supervised contact or communication with minors upon approval with his probation officer. So after Jared was arrested, his wife, Katie, started divorce proceedings and she released this statement. She said, obviously, I am extremely shocked and disappointed by the recent developments involving Jared. I'm in the process of seeking a dissolution of the marriage. My focus is exclusively on the well-being of my children. Neither I nor my family will have any further comment on the matter. I appreciate respect for my family's privacy during this difficult time. So Jared's attorney also released a statement after the plea deal was finalised. His attorney, Jeremy Margulies, said in a statement that Jared is agreeing to plead guilty to the charges filed against him today. In doing so, Jared is accepting responsibility for what he's done. He's also volunteering to make restitution to those affected by his deplorable behaviour. While Jared fully recognises that such monetary contribution will not undo the harm he has caused, he's hopeful it will assist these individuals as they try to move forward with their lives. The statement also went on to say, Jared also understands that he requires significant psychiatric medical treatment and counselling. He has already begun that process by by being extensively examined by a world-renowned expert in sexual conditions in order to chart a course to recovery. It is Jared's intent and goal to become healthy again. And then he finally finishes off with, most importantly, Jared understands that he has hurt innocent people, vulnerable people, and his family. He has expressed remorse to me and his loved ones and will, when the opportunity, given the opportunity, express the remorse to the court and to the people he has harmed. His intent, his intent is to spend the rest of his life making amends. Subway announced in August 2015 on Twitter that they had cut all ties with Jared. It said, we no longer have a relationship with Jared and have no further comment. So I guess it was no longer mutual by that stage. I was going to say, I think it's, I know it's his attorney that was talking, but it's crazy how the statement was just trying to be like, he's not that bad. He just made a mistake and he's really sorry. Like, come on. Yeah. It's a pretty shitty statement. Mm-hmm. Jared and Katie's divorce was finalized on November 16th, 2015. Jared had agreed to pay Katie $7 million. So if you remember before, we said that his net worth was $15 million. So even with the restitution that he apparently agreed to pay, that still leaves him with a fairly big chunk of money if his net worth is the $15 million. Um, so on yeah. November 19th, 2015, Jared formally pled guilty before fa- federal judge Tanya Walton-Pratt. Jared apologized for his crimes and asked for a chance to become a good and honest person. He also said that he wanted to redeem his life after being ensnared in a web of deception, lies, and complete self-centeredness. Jared said that, quote, he had learned so much about the underage minors with whom I've paid to have sex with. He said, not a day will go by that I don't think about them, what I did, and the impact on their lives. John Bradford is a forensic psychiatrist who testified for Jared's defense team. He said that Jared suffered from a compulsive eating disorder before losing weight. He also said that Jared replaced food with a sense of hypersexuality, which included a, quote, mild or weak pedophilia. John Bradford said there was a low to moderate risk of Jared reoffending. So after all this, John's diagnosis was widely criticised. Another psychologist, Adam Deeming, suggested that John's use of the word my, words mild and weak had meant to convey that Jared's primary sexual attraction was to early teenagers, but he had a lesser attraction to younger children. Judge Pratt said the level of perversion and lawlessness exhibited by Mr. Fogel is in extreme. She sentenced Jared to 15 years and eight months in prison, which was over three years more than what the prosecutors had sought, and it was three times more than what Jared had requested. 
Jared must serve a minimum of 13 years before becoming eligible for time off with good behavior. And whenever he does get out, he'll be on supervised release for the rest of his life. The judge also fined Jared 175000 and ordered him to forfeit 50000 in assets. I was going to say, I think it's crazy that he's just like, ah, but I was, I only wanted five years, like as if he has a say in five years is like nothing. I know. And even that amount of money for someone like 50K in assets, wow, big deal. Like, <laughs> why are you bothering? Yeah, like he really, he really was thinking like he wasn't going to get in much trouble because he's quote, really sorry. So Jared's another of Jared's lawyers named Rob Elberger find a notice filed a notice of appeal on December 14th 2015. Jared wanted to appeal the sentence as it was longer than the maximum that had been recommended by the prosecutors. But after the appeal was filed, the US Attorney's office responded by opposing any sentence reduction. So Jared's lawyers recommended that he be incarcerated at Federal Correctional Institution in Inglewood near Littleton in Colorado as it had a problem for sex offenders and that is where he ended up being placed which is, this is wild to me. His earliest possible release date is March 24, 2029. So not that long away, really. That's soon. Yeah, I know. When you think about it, it's such a short sentence for someone who was so depraved. Yeah. So after he went to prison in January 2016, Jared was attacked by another inmate in the prison. Stephen Neig, who was 60, beat Jared in the rec yard. Stephen, who was in prison for gun offences and is not scheduled to be released until next year, 2024, pushed Jared to the ground and struck him multiple times in the face with a closed fist. Stephen's only injuries were a small cut on his hand and an abrasion on his knee from the concrete. Jared sustained a blood nose, scratches to his neck and redness and swelling to his face. Stephen told his family that he wanted everyone to know he did it for the victims and his family because he was frustrated about the prison's program for child sex offenders. A hero. Yeah. His nephew, Jimmy, spoke to Heavy and he said in his words, they were sending child molesters there for a program that did not work and they let the molesters off without serving hard time. He wanted the public to know that these molesters were being sent to their backyard, just feet from schools and homes. Stephen also said that Jared had been flaunting his money in prison and had been using it to pay for extra food and to also get paid bodyguards, which were the other prisoners i did read when i was reading about that incident that one of the paid bodyguards actually kind of stepped aside and let steve attack jared so it <laughs> must not be working out so well yeah. for him and even before jared fogel was sentenced there was outrage over how light of a sentence his attorneys were asking for convicted pedophiles even wrote letters demanding that the judge be tough on jared and inside this federal prison one inmate just couldn't take it any longer he couldn't help it he just couldn't help it behind these walls at the inglewood federal prison jim nigg tells us how his brother steve beat up jared fogel what those guys do jared included that's the worst of worst the former subway spokesperson is serving out a 15-year sentence convicted of having sex with minors using his celebrity to feed his addiction that's where steve nigg had a problem he's serving a 15-year sentence for a federal gun crime it bothered him anyway you look at it but yeah i'm sure that's it's not the it's not fair. It's not equal. Nig sold off firearms from his deceased father's estate. His criminal past from the 1970s made that illegal. He told his brother Fogel's sentence and demeanor inside the prison walls sent him over the edge. When you run through the, the yard in a prison with special privileges and you hire people, maybe the inmates to back you up to make sure nobody touches you, 
That's even worse. Rick Kornfeld, a former U.S. attorney, says it's hard to compare the two crimes, especially when you look at criminal history. This kind of general equivalence is an interesting argument, but it's really not how the system works. Speaking for his brother, Nig says he has no regrets over the prison yard scuffle. But it's still worth it. He, he still thinks it's still worth it. And he'd do it again. So there have been additional lawsuits since Jared's arrest. The parents of one of his victims filed a lawsuit against him for personal injury and emotional distress. Jared fired back, arguing that the parents were liable for the injuries because the parents fought and abused alcohol in front of their daughter. Jared also alleged that the divorce of the couple had been detrimental to their daughter. He wrote in his filing, custody and parenting time required Jane Doe to constantly rotate her living arrangements, caused unnecessary stress, anxiety and trauma for the Jane Doe. So that family did drop their lawsuit against him in October 2016. On October 24th, 2016, lawyers for Katie, his wife, filed a suit against Subway in Indiana. The suit alleged that Subway violated her property property rights and her privacy rights and caused personal injury to her by covering up at least three instances of Jared's illegal behavior that were reported to senior management. The lawsuit was dismissed the following year in October 2017 with the judge writing that the court lacked jurisdiction since their principal business operations were outside Indiana. In a kind of weird twist, in 2017, Jared attempted to overturn his conviction because of his status as a sovereign citizen. If you don't know what that is, a sovereign citizen is someone who believes they are not governed by authorities or are subject to laws. So that was a new um, angle, I guess, for him to take. Um, The US District Judge Tanya Pratt rejected his appeal and she said if Fogel is now claiming to be sovereign, the Seventh Circuit has rejected theories of individual sovereignty, immunity from prosecution and the ilk. Regardless of his theory, Fogel's challenge of this court's jurisdiction is rejected. So that was good. She didn't want to play his games. This is what I mean by he's such a smug loser even though they're like he's really sorry, he's learned so much about his victims, he feels horrible, like he was just so self-centered at the time that he's learned, he's changed. Clearly he hasn't because when the parents tried to sue, he was like, no, 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 you guys were the problem. You guys were fighting a lot. So you made your daughter the perfect victim for me. And then next, his next thing was like, oh, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a sovereign citizen. Like this doesn't pertain to me. And then at the start, he was like, well, I should only be getting five years. Yeah. So he's clearly not that sorry. Still a smug asshole. Didn't learn anything. Will never change. No, I agree. Um, so there was a 2020 update regarding Russell Taylor's case. His sentence was thrown out in March, 2020, when it emerged that his lawyer had failed to challenge three charges that were not supported by the evidence. Judge Pratt said that this failure tainted the entire plea deal. Prosecutors filed a new indictment for 30 charges of producing and distributing child pornography. And Russell filed a petition to plead guilty in May, and he formally pled guilty in November 2021, and he was sentenced to 27 years, which was identical to the original sentence, so doesn't really make a difference. Um, His wife, Angela Baldwin, was convicted of child exploitation and producing and possessing child pornography in October 2021, and she was sentenced to 33 years in prison. In the documentary, they talk about this part more. It's um, with Russell Taylor. So... Basically, it was his wife, Angela Baldwin's two children, and she was just like offering them up on a silver platter to him. And he hid cameras in their bedrooms and in the bathroom, and the wife knew about it and was letting him do it. So the two girls are older now, but they're in the documentary and they talk about all that and just like what it was like to find out that 
one, he was doing that to them, and two, that their mom was just allowing it to happen. It's unbelievable that a mother would do that to her own children. Yeah. I um, When I was reading, just checking there was no updates today, I actually came across a kind of unrelated but related article. It's not related to this case, but it's related to the topic in general. It's from the Sydney Morning Herald and it's titled The Shocking Number of Australian Men Sexually Attracted to Children and Teens. So I'll just read out part of it. It says basically they interviewed 1,900 men aged 18 to over 65. One in six of those men admitted to having sexual feelings towards children and teenagers and almost one in 10 acknowledged having committed child sexual offences but um, only a few of them had been caught. One in 15 men admitted that they would have sexual contact with a child aged 14 or younger if no one would find out. Wow. Like, that's that's pretty shocking. Those numbers are wild. I would never have thought it would be that high, but. It's just, like, sickening. It's disgusting. It's one of those things where you you never know who the people are that you're walking on the street with or who's next to you. Kind of like we talked about with Rex Hugerman because he got arrested like on the streets of New York City. He was just walking along like everyone else. Like you never know when you're standing next to a pedophile, a serial killer yep. or whatever. It's scary. So, yeah. So, Jared will be eligible for parole in just a few years. We will have to keep you updated on what happens. But he seems to have been pretty quiet in terms of his legal process, there doesn't seem to be any more appeals or any more weird, you know, side points to his to the situation. But there are still, like, obviously with the documentary, it's been pushed back in the light. There was an article, where is Jared from Subway now? Is he still in jail? So there's been those kind of articles, but no real new information. Even though his sentence seemed short, he is famous enough in this story, was a big enough deal that like no one's gonna forget that jared from subway is a pedophile like his life is still over he's not gonna get out sure he still has his money i guess which is a benefit to him but like he's not gonna get another good job he's not gonna be a spokesperson of subway anymore everyone's gonna know that he's a gross creep at least all right so that is it for this episode um, like I said, the documentary, it's on HBO Max if you guys want to check it out. That's more so about what that reporter kind of went through when she kind of did her own investigation. You could learn more about that. Um, it was still interesting, especially if you don't know much about the story. So you can check that out on HBO Max. Um, we'll have a blog about it as well at truecrimesocietyblog.com. And you can follow us on Instagram where we post a lot of updates there as well at True Crime Society. If you want to know what we're up to. Um, my Instagram is stuffsum underscore and Olivia's is TCS Olivia. And whatever platform you listen on, Spotify, Apple, all these things, make sure you're actually like subscribed or following us because that's a big help to us when you're actually subscribed or following. It does make a difference. So it's just a small thing you guys can do to help us out. We're also on Patreon if you want to listen to the episodes ad free and I put them out a little bit earlier than they would normally come out. Plus we do weekly bonus episodes and we have um, some group chats on there where we can all chat about what's going on or we could just send pictures of our pets so definitely check that out if it's something you'd be interested in um but that's it leave us a nice review share the podcast with your friends all that and i hope you guys are surviving the holiday season keep surviving the holiday season keep thriving thank you guys for listening (laughs) peace out (laughs) 